0: I guess, say welcome to the Saturday morning meditation meetup, and uh, I am recording. If you want to say something that you don't want recorded, just let me know, and I'll turn off the recording. Um, Anyway, so does anybody have anything they want to say, recorded or not? Ted, where were you last week? You left us hanging. I thought I told you guys I wasn't going to be there. Maybe you did. It was, you know, I I kind of, so here's what happened. This is actually something that's been a learning experience for me. Um, In the, uh, I use MailChimp to send out uh, the mail. And in the daily, day before announcement, they have this thing called preview text you can put under the subject. And in my preview text, I said, I'm not going to be there. But then when I got the email, it didn't say I wasn't going to be there. But then the hour before thing did say I wasn't going to be there. So I was like, well, okay, people will know but I guess not, so sorry about that. I, I did actually ask you to host, but, um, ah, see, Tom. Tom was paying attention. <laughs> well, we, we survived somehow. I know. I, I, I wasn't too worried about you. But yeah, no, I was I was on an, well, actually, I wasn't on an airplane. I was, I was waiting to board an airplane during the meeting. So I apologize for the confusion.
1: Uh, the preview text just because I've done some email marketing, preview text will only show in the inbox um, before they click on it. So it is like a separate subject if you want to add more information. So when someone clicks on it, then it won't be in the in the body of the email.
2: Good to know. It'll
1: just be under the headline. So if they see your title, your your subject, and they click, and they don't see the uh, preview text there, and then you, they'll never get your message.
0: I wrecked everything thank you for thank you for clarifying that because i was I was wondering like why did this happen like it 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 just I thought I did the right thing, but anyway, you know learning experiences so Sam, how's your audio today? I guess you just dialed in um yeah, I don't know. you tell me how is it? You sound all right, you're a little you're you got the usual telephone compression, but that's all right. uh well, I called him with my hold on. Does it sound better now? Yeah, no, it, it was it's fine. fine. It just, uh, you know, you're you're fine. We can hear you. It's just, it's like when you're yeah. when you're on a phone. It's like, you know, the audio is not ideal, but but it's it's totally audible. So so
3: if you're not, yeah, I mean, hopefully I don't have to say much, and I yeah. can just listen.
0: <laughs> and and the good news is, you do not sound like Darth Vader.
3: That's good. Yeah, yeah that, that that was. Uh, <laughs> A little scary
0: yeah oh, no we weren't worried we trust you <laughs> so uh, uh, sorry I keep saying things that don't have anything to do with meditation and then whoever it was that was eagerly excited to, to bring up their meditation topic gets squashed so I'm gonna just shut up.
4: Yeah, I don't think anybody has anything to say. But oh. like uh Okay, sorry, go ahead then. I don't have anything to say.
5: Um I I have something to say. I have a I have a a question. Okay. Um so I mean, I don't know how you guys usually run the group, but uh, like a big question came up for me this week where um let's say I'm doing like the erasure method, a body mm-hmm. scan and I do a full body scan. And then I get to a place after the body scan where I'm just—I feel very, um, I don't know what you call it—in the zone, at one with everything, just mm-hmm. very kind of ideal. Yep. And I still have maybe like another fifteen <laughs> minutes left in the meditation, but that in the zone feeling only lasts for, let's say, a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I. I, I struggle with them what to do. Should I restart the body scan from the bottom up, or should I? I, I get a little bit lost at that point.
0: Well, so I mean the in the zone feeling. So, so by the way, for those who don't know what what she's talking about, um, uh, the eraser method is uh, shamatha vipassana practice. It's done in the finder's course. Um, and so it's very similar to TMI, but it's it's got its little variations, and 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 the, the goal is slightly different. So anyway, to answer your question, or to 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 theorize about your question, I think would be a better way to put it, because I can't really tell you the correct answer. Um, but but my theory about what you just said is that um, first of all, when you get in the zone, that's a result, right? So it's not really the practice; it's 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 a reward of the practice. When you get in the zone, if you can stay in. What you're calling the zone, and just just like enjoy that, that's great. Um, and so one thing you might investigate is like just just sort of notice what's happening as as that progresses and then ends. Um, you might try working on. Uh, so if, I, I don't know what the zone is like. I mean, it sounds like it might be sort of jhana-like, but yeah. it's not sustaining itself. Right. So. Um, so are is anything happening that's 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 making it not sustain itself or is it just kind of is it just kind of like a, a, a poof that just sort of sort of fades?
5: Um, I guess like there comes a point when I when I, I, I feel very, you know, in it mm-hmm. where then suddenly maybe like mental concepts start to come up and, and my mind goes, What should I focus on?
0: Ah, ah, <laughs> but, ah, okay, um, there you go. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> when that happens, just like notice it and accept it. Okay. Just notice it and accept it. Because because what's what's going on? Oh, uh, Riff did you want to? After after you. Yeah yeah. So what's 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 going on there? I think is basically just that. So John, the way that John work is is basically that that you get in a groove, and if you start trying to control things, the the groove the groove proceeds because you've surrendered. Like you right. just allowed yourself to be sucked down the drain. And the minute that you start struggling, then you come out of the groove.
5: Right. And
0: so, and and you know, as as your practice, if if you start if you started doing TMI, like to get to stage ten, there comes a point where the groove is so wide that you can't pop out of it, and so you actually can think while you're in the groove. But, mm-hmm. um, but generally speaking, if you have any of those thoughts, just like notice that you had that thought and be like, huh, okay, and let it pass. And with any luck, you won't pop out of the groove.
5: Okay. Okay, I'll I'll try that. Try that. I'll, I'll I'll
0: try that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so by the way, Renee, since you this is I think your first time on the call, I will mention that that um, I am the I am the facilitator and the host, but um, I am not the only person who's a meditation expert here, and so uh, lots of other people will probably chime in when you ask questions, and it sounds like Riff is about to. So Riff, go ahead.
6: Yeah, um, so I don't know if you're doing um, TMI practice at all or something fairly different. Uh,
0: it's it's more like, it's more like Goenka.
6: Yeah. Um, one of the steps in TMI that I occasionally find really useful is that at the start of the practice, um, they have this thing called basically like a six-point preparation, mm-hmm. uh, where you go over, like, um, basically you start by kind of going over why you're meditating. And you know, you kind of promise that you're not going to take your meditation too seriously. And then one of the steps is basically like going over the specific distractions that are that you think are likely to come up during the meditation, and just setting the intentions specifically around those distractions to kind of let them go. Um, and I found specifically like over the last couple of months, I was working with something very, very similar to what you just mentioned, which is that you know I would get into this great state, but then I would get so excited about being in the great state and like thinking about being in the great state as the goal that I would get out of the great state, and so. Um, Listing that specifically, like kind of in my warm up to the practice as something that was going to happen and sort of um, Making the attention that like when it happened, I would just continue to refocus You know, my attention on the breath and the present itself and that, you know, just like, you know, thinking about bad distractions isn't my Isn't my intention in the practice, you know Dwelling on like the awesome things that are happening is also not my intention in the practice And so I found that was able to, you know, over a few weeks to a couple of months Uh Help some with that. And I still work with it. I, I wouldn't say it's 100 percent for me, but I think that that might be if that resonates for you, that could potentially be helpful.
5: Yeah, I think I think that could be really good. I, I definitely would um I'll check out what those six preparations are because that sounds that sounds very like a, a useful thing to do. I guess also like one other thing that comes up when I sort of get into that state is uh I'm fairly new to meditating. Um and I think that sometimes I don't know the difference between really being in like this sort of meditative state versus subtle dullness.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah. So, so actually, subtle dullness can can be a really pleasant, quiet state. And you're right. That that's a that's a definite possibility. Um, Given what you've been doing, and given that your practice seems to have been very effective for you, I would say that it probably, like, unless you're feeling like you ought to be varying it, don't. Okay. Um, I think when, you know, six months have gone by, if things are still kind of where they are and you feel like you're stagnating a little bit, that would be the time to start turning up the knob. Okay. But so there's no rush.
6: I would also suggest that for me, I mean, one thing is I wouldn't worry about it too much because if the dullness is subtle, it's not the biggest deal in the world and it'll sort of solve over time as you learn more. But also the way you described it to me doesn't make it sound that much like dullness because usually when dullness starts to show up, like super coherent thoughts about like, you know, getting distracted tends to turn down. So the yeah. fact that you're kind of working with that indicates you're probably, a, you might be at a pretty high energy level and that it might not be dullness. Yeah. Also, you know,
0: you just came off the body scan, and and, and in TMI, the whole point of the body scan is to eliminate subtle dullness, so.
5: (laughs) okay, all right, that's very helpful. Thank you. Cool.
0: All right, has this, uh, has has anybody else, oh, there's a cat, yay. (laughs) Two cats. I was looking at Colleen's cat, who's just right at the edge of the image. Anyway. um, so does anybody else have something they want to bring up? I'm just enjoying the cat.
6: No? I guess I could ask a, a question. Sure. sure. Um, I'm trying to think about how to ask this. I feel like part of me thinks I should go back to two sessions a day. Mm -hmm. or back to meditating more and then part of me is just like things seem super great now why would i bother doing any more and then part of me is like really just getting busy and resisting doing more and i guess i'm wondering if people have thoughts on like how to decide whether or when to you know kind of set up how much time they're devoted so i'm doing basically at least 45 minutes a day right now in a single sit, which basically means 45 minutes a day. I mean, someone will sit for 50 minutes or 55 minutes. You know, sometimes I imagine I'll do a second sit in a day, but like I do a second sit one day in every 20 or something. It's not, not the common thing. Um, you know, I've had times when like for several months I was doing two hours every day and I felt like I made a lot of progress, but I also feel like I'm making progress right now. So it doesn't feel stopped at all. Like I definitely feel like the sessions are you know, that that my life is going well, but also that the sessions are kind of, um, deepening over time. So I'd be curious what thoughts people have on that and like how to decide how much to meditate. I mean, one issue for me is like, if I'm going to do two hours, well, why not do four hours? Like, you know, how do you decide when to stop? And I have, I have some kind of sense that you know, if I'm meditating all day, like, you know, I'm kind of helping myself a lot maybe, but I'm not helping anyone else at that point. Hmm. And, you know, I think my life is largely focused around, not largely, but, you know, has a lot of aspects of helping other people in it. So maybe one guideline would be like, don't meditate so much, I can't help other people. But I guess I'm curious what other guidelines are or how people think about this or what they go through or decide.
0: I mean, uh, so I'll, I'll kick in my, my opinion on this, but this is just my opinion. Um, First of all, uh, it sounds like you're in, 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 in an integration phase um, based on what we've heard from you in the last couple of meetups. Um, like you've had some, some stuff happen, some things have shifted and now you're in new territory or maybe you've been in the new territory for a while, but basically you're, you're in a place where there's a lot of opportunities for just like noticing um, things that you could uh, investigate and soften. And so you're not really trying at that point. You don't need to develop shamatha, right? That's not that's not the thing that you need right now. It's not that. I mean, it might be that there's more work to do there, and uh, and that work is available to you when you want to do it. But it doesn't really sound like you're all that excited about doing it. So, uh, and and the thing is, uh, for integration stuff, being out in the world is extremely valuable. Like. There's nothing better than just being um, hit with random stuff that's out of your control because those are the things that trigger you and finding triggers is how you integrate, right? You can't integrate if you don't, if you haven't found a trigger. So if you're just like sitting quietly eight hours a day, you might not get triggered at all. And you might be like in this incredibly blissful state, which is really great, but it's basically just a result. You're not actually making any progress. And so, so, uh, so there's very definitely like if you if you read just about anybody's book about how they've you know how they think about like like Bernadette Roberts talks about this a lot, um, and it's also it's also in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. It's a it's a major theme uh, that uh, once you've had some kind of insight that's transformative, then you go back out into the market. They call it going back to the market. I think Chuladasa uses this term now too. And what they're talking about is just going back out into the world, interacting with the world like a normal person, except you're not a normal person anymore. So, so now the world is like operating on you in a new way and it's incredibly fruitful. So, so I, I don't feel at all alarmed about what you're saying. I mean, the, the one thing that, that I said, and this is purely because of the way my habit happens to have formed and nothing to do with you is that when you said 45 minutes, I was like, but an hour is better. But that's just because that's how long I sit. It's not because it's better. So, so uh, I
6: think, you know, if, 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 if you'll, you'll know if you have a problem, right? Probably I will. Now, TMI doesn't really talk about this going back out in the marketplace at all, does it? It's not really in the book. TMI doesn't really talk about
0: what to do after Insight. That's not the focus of the book. Yeah. So, so, so one thing to bear in mind about TMI, and this is something that Chula Dossi will tell you if you ask him, is that TMI is about one limb of, of, of one. What do they call it? They don't call them limbs. They call them uh, one of one of the one of the folds in the eightfold path, right? It's about one of the trainings. It, one of the trainings. Thank trainings, you. right? It's one of three trainings. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's only it's only a part of the path, and the reason that he did that was very deliberate. It's because he felt that that was the one that was weakest, and that's the one that needed a new book. The other ones are already well well addressed by other books, and and I that's that matches my experience. So, so that's why he did it that way. You shouldn't take that to mean that TMI doesn't the the, the Chuladasa doesn't think that's important.
6: Yeah, I mean maybe it's that I haven't read. I mean I feel like I've read a lot of these books. But maybe I haven't read enough of the other books that are relevant in this way. Like I often think that TMI is kind of all you need, but maybe it's not all you need. And this kind of um, I think I tend to sell sell myself a little short in some ways. Like, um, you know, I think relative to TMI, I have not spent any time in like very high stages. You know, I think, you know, the furthest I would ever get would be some kind of, you know, borderline six, seven stage. Mm -hmm. I've never experienced a jhana. Um, And so in that sense, like, I don't think I've had these amazing peak experiences. But on the other hand, like my life has obviously been totally transformed by meditation in a way that's amazing all the time and every single day and so i feel like it's a little bit uh not what i expected from the book which is fine yeah but
0: um. yeah well so the progression of the you know we we have all of these maps that say that the progression, progression of insight happens exactly this way and feels exactly like this and you have to just recognize at some point that that's nonsense right like if if You know, it it doesn't happen the same for everyone, and 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 um, and actually, well, I'm not going to go into my long diatribe about that because it's not really relevant to your question. But the point is that 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 um, yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't sell yourself short. You know, insights happen the way they happen. Shifts in uh, self-view and attachment and things like that happen the way they happen, and they happen differently for everybody. Um, There are some there are some ways that insight can progress that that have common markers and everybody, I think if you look, you can find common markers, but the personal experience of the progress is always going to be different. So, you know, even though, even though it may match some model fairly, fairly well, just remember that that's a model and not the, not the territory.
6: Yeah. And so I guess maybe rephrasing the question, I guess I'm a little bit sort of, um, you know, even though In a lot of ways, it was very subtle. Like, I do feel like I got where I got by, like, trying to do something. Like, you know, I was trying to have a meditation path and, like, setting up the intention to meditate every day. And I guess I'm kind of wondering what overall intentions I should be setting now. Like, it sounds like I don't need to set an intention to meditate a lot more. Do I just set an intention to go out in the world and see what happens? Is that all I need to do now? Is it? Well, you kind of need to figure that out. It sounds like Sam wants to say something. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, I don't mean to butt in or anything, but like, uh, would you rather, uh, what
6: we want to hear from you? You're not butting in.
3: Oh yeah. Sorry. Um, so I guess I just wanted to say, do you enjoy meditating?
6: I do. It's quite, well, I have a tiny bit of resistance to getting on the cushion. And then once I sit down, it is almost always fairly pleasant Um, or to to quite pleasant like it's um it's enjoyable I'm not um like I I don't regret when it ends but I'm I'm usually not eager for it to be over I find I'm usually able to find like a lot of pleasant physical and mental sensations uh it's not it's not super boring even though I'm just watching my breath so I would say I I do enjoy it um but I enjoy lots of things and so I don't enjoy it so much that I feel like I like it's easy to do a lot more of it but I, I kind of enjoy it is that a good answer?
3: yeah yeah Um, oh, i'm just like trying to feel out like exactly like what the motivation is because you know like after a while it becomes sort of like a hobby rather than a thing that you do to uh end suffering because the suffering goes away and it sounds like you're at the point where uh suffering has gone away so you need a new motivation to like be interested oh, to sit every day yeah. and it gets to be kind of like more like just something that i do and like more like um just like this this part of it's just like a part of you after a while and you don't have to think about it very much and you just like sit when you sit and uh you know if you don't sit you don't sit and um uh I don't know I mean does that sound like the point that you're coming to in a way
6: yeah, maybe. I think part of the issue for me is that even though I would say I'm not suffering, you know, I still have a lot of interests and in things I enjoy doing relative to the available time. And so, like I don't suffer over it, but I still, you know, have mental processes and I mean saying I haven't don't suffer at all is probably much too strong a term. Suffering is way down, it's not zero, but I still have, you know, a lot of uh, mental processes competing for my attention and, you know, feeling like, you know, if I had many more hours in the day, I would be able to use them productively and that there are choices to make about how to spend my time and that those choices are meaningful. I also feel like I'm a little bit, um, you know, attached to my streak. So like I've meditated every day for at least 45 minutes, you know, for, since January of 2018. And so definitely like part of it, it's like totally on autopilot as something I do. And then part of it's like, well, I'm sure not gonna break that streak now. Cause like, look at the amazing stuff that's happened. And it's even like a little bit ritualized that way. Um, so I don't know if that adds any, adds any insight to the question, but um,
3: am Yeah. Um- I would just consider like, like I don't think you should ever force yourself to try to meditate more than you think you want to. Um, So there's that, but like also um, at a certain point, um, like doing stuff in daily life also becomes a meditative thing and you sort of just pay attention to what you're doing and uh, it has a way of just moving along by itself without you having to really force things. Um, So, Like, I I guess I don't have like an answer per se, but just feedback. It sounds like you're at a good place. And like, I wouldn't think about it too much and just like, uh, try to, try to bring it into daily life and just see if you're straining when you're doing that and see if, see if things seem to be happening by themselves, you know, like, it sounds like you're at that point. So Cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, Chula Dasa actually talks about this explicitly. I don't know if he mentions it in the book, but he certainly talked about it more than once in, in various talks that, you know, after he had stream entry, he was like, this is the best thing ever. This is like so awesome. Like, like there's nothing more that I could ever want. And, and that experience lasted for about a year or two. And, um, and then at some point he started to notice all of the ways that he was still suffering. And, um, you know, uh, that when he first said that to me, I was actually kind of like, well, okay. Um, but but I kind of like there the the suffering that you get from the later fetters is actually really painful. It's just that it's so much less painful than the suffering that you were enduring before that that you don't really see it. And so you may very likely I don't know which fetters you've dropped, and we there's no point in really speculating. But 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 you'll find out. <laughs> So, fear not.
6: (laughs) Yeah, and certainly I wouldn't say I'm in any sort of state where it's so strong, but I would say, like, nothing better could ever happen. I mean, it's, you know, and I also don't feel like I've necessarily had stream entry. Like, I don't, I would have expected, if I'd had it, I would have expected something much more dramatic. So, even though. Yeah, that's what they all think. (laughs) Yeah, all right.
1: (laughs) One thing I wanted to, one thing that caught my, my attention uh, riff that you said um, was when you were wondering if you should meditate more or help other people. And and, uh, and I'm not telling you if you should or shouldn't do it, but um, the case, it kind of feels like, Oh, it's being selfish for me to, to meditate. One thing that I've been reading kind of consistently across different books is uh, we, we get ourselves to the awakened state in order to help other people. Uh, that seems to be the the driving force. Awaken ourselves to help other people, so uh, either by example or actually going out and doing something. So um, just to add that to the to the conversation, not necessarily saying you have to, you should. If you're spending an hour a day doing charity work or being a kind person, helping somebody every day, you shouldn't stop doing that necessarily. But I'm just want to make sure you don't feel like guilty if you were to meditate more.
6: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's very much thank the
6: Mahayana. Uh, sorry, I said thank you. Yeah,
0: that's very much the Mahayana shtick. The only uh, quibble that I have with the Mahayana shtick is that um, you, it can turn into uh, a situation where you're actually not only not helping others, but you're also um, not really making progress towards awakening. And then it's it's actually you might as well just go help others because you're not making progress towards awakening. But that's not real situation. So. I just mentioned that as a caveat because I've, I've, I've honestly, quite honestly, personally fallen into that trap myself. And uh, I would not want to encourage anybody else to fall into it. Um, Tom's had his hand up for quite a while and then Nate raised his hand after Tom. So let's, let's hear from Tom and then we'll go on to Nate.
2: Um, so Renee mentioned body scanning and I know it's in a different uh, tradition, technique, whatever. I'd be interested in a discussion of the nuts and bolts of stage five body scanning. I've been doing it some, uh, but I'm not convinced I'm doing it correctly or productively. And I'd like to understand, understand it better and do it
7: better. Hmm. So wait, why, why do you not think you're doing it productively?
2: Um, I don't really have a sense of an increased clarity after a round of body scanning. Hmm. Um, it feels like I can increase clarity and vividness just by intending that
0: as I'm uh-huh. following through. it. So what you're what you're basically saying is that you don't need to do the body scan because you've already perfect you've already mastered that practice to the point where you know how to do it without.
2: I don't feel like I've mastered the practice.
0: Okay.
2: I feel like things could be a lot more clear and vivid. Okay. I'm struggling to
0: move in that direction and So, so when you do the body scan, what do you what do you feel? Like do you feel sensations of the breath in the body? I don't know. I
2: so if I scan a small area like just my hands or just my seat. I don't really feel any sensations other than yeah they're there okay if I do large areas of the body I get tingling all over
0: okay so um, I can I can give you some suggestions these are not don't take these as authoritative or correct but just as suggestions um, okay. when you go to scan uh, Say, say you, I mean, I, I, I like using the feet because they're, they're very sensitive. Um, and so, so when you go to scan, the first thing, that, the, the first layer of sensation is just physical sensation. And um, it's worth actually going and finding the physical sensation. And uh, because even though we're supposed to be feeling the breath there, you have to get, you, you have to actually feel the thing that you're trying to feel the breath in before you can feel the breath to some extent until until you've found it. Once you've found it, then you can just feel the breath. But but until you feel the breath, you have to you have to get there. Um, the, the breath sensations are extremely subtle. Uh, and what that means is that if you try to be forceful about finding them, the force of the force that you're applying will be so much more uh, higher in intensity than the breath sensation that it will completely block your experience of the breath sensation. So in order to successfully do the body scan, you have to learn how to invite the sensations in instead of seeking them out. Um, so, uh, so basically, what, the way that I usually start the body scan is by actually there, there are certain parts of my feet that happen to be fairly sensitive and that I can generally intend to feel and then feel. Um, and then once I felt them, then I can kind of like explore very gently explore like what else is around here, and then um, after I've done that for a little bit, since the the a uh, 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 fairly clear sharp picture of all of the sensations that are coming to me from the foot will start to materialize, and that's still completely physical. I'm still just feeling physical sensations like, you know, pressure from uh, whatever's on my foot uh, heat or cold, uh, airflow. Um, but so, so, so these are all sensations that are fairly easy to access, but they're not that easy to access. And so you actually need to do a little bit of, not exactly work, but a little bit of, of, of intention crafting, let's say, to, um, to feel them. And then once you feel them, then you can dwell in that place and, and, and just be there. And then Invite the much subtler sensation of breath to show up. Don't go looking for it. Just just be there, be receptive, be ready for it, um, and see what happens. I say this based on my own personal experience. I'm not saying this is the right way to do it, but that's just what I do. Okay.
2: That sounds like I need to exercise more patience.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah, waiting I- is an important part of the practice. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks. Yeah.
7: Well, and, and related to that, it's just equanimity does increase sensory clarity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's it. Just, uh, Ted was saying that, but like, just yeah, that's maybe, a great summary. Yeah, but then maybe that helps someone break through or something, right? But if there's yeah. something else you're very aversive to something or you're like wanting, um, yeah, it'll obscure, it'll obscure sort of the sensations. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Nate.
4: Uh, man, I, I sort of forgot my question, like my first one, but like another one that came up was, as you said, like uh, TMI was more on the um, concentration or uh side of things, rather than like like the, also thought their other books are good on the other fronts, but like I. I I mean I'm trying to scan I'm just trying to think, but I can't really think of a good book for insight. And I mean no 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 offense to like the Fasoudi Mago or like the Manual of Insight or like um, I don't know, other books out there. But I, mm-hmm. I, I don't have one like on my mind.
6: Have you read hmm. uh Seeing That Freeze?
4: Yes, Seeing That Freeze, I agree is, is great. It's it's really good. Um but i don't think it talks about like the development of insight that well it like gives you great exercises and um, it really lays out the framework like really really well mm-hmm. yeah i agree um, if if i were to say that there's one book that i feel like is really good that that'd be it but it's it's not like like TMS sort of takes you like through all the developmental um, phases like um, how how it develops how how it Happens. um, I feel like seeing that freezes, is 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 not quite like that. I don't know. But I, I agree. It's it's quite a masterpiece.
0: So I think there isn't one book because if there were one book, then that would be there would be one correct model, and there isn't one correct model. So so this is actually kind of a problem. Like like what I know about this practice, what I know about the progress of insight is from having talked to a bunch of different masters who've talked to me about how they've seen it and from talking to people who've gone through the process and noticing that they all seem to have different experiences. So it's all very uh, anecdotal for one thing um, and uh, very subjective. And it seems like, I mean, I think one of the reasons why you have people who um, can usefully teach and can usefully help people is is because it's actually difficult to write this stuff down in a book in a way that actually transfers the knowledge. And, and and what tends to happen if you write it down in a book is that it turns into a model. And as soon as it turns into a model, then it's just one model. And so, so the model, it, it's almost like in order to be able to understand this stuff well, you actually just have to talk to a lot of people who've done it. And then you build a a non-conceptual mental model that allows you to navigate it and help other people to navigate it. But I think that that one of the reasons why Buddhism has this this sort of the Sangha relationship and the teacher-student relationship and, and that these are so important in Buddhism is not because like there's this need to have a hierarchy and like everybody needs to be able to have students so that they can make a living or something like that, something silly like that, right? It's because it actually does matter. Like, there's a reason why you need to have somebody to talk to, and 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 this is it. It's it's that there's no way to convey this stuff. It's not even convey because it's not really. It's not like you. It's not like somebody who's going through the progress needs to have a detailed description of the progress. It's just that you need somebody who's like kind of gone through it before to help you navigate it, and hopefully somebody who's not uh, doctrinaire about how it works because that can be that can be absolute death to somebody's awakening practice if they don't happen to be uh, able to awaken using that particular doctrine. So, yeah, I, sorry, that was maybe not the most satisfying answer, but I don't think there, I don't think there's a good answer for that. I think, I think this is, this is, this is so, so I'll say for myself, the reason why I do these calls is because I, I I have come to realize, and when I started doing this, I was like, I have no idea why I'm doing this no idea why i'm doing these calls um this is a this is like a big chunk of my saturday it's not really that big a chunk but you know there's like all these little naysaying minds right like no no you don't want to get up every morning and so and and the reason why i've stuck with it all this time is because it's just i've just noticed that people have benefited from it and uh you know if if you see the same absence in the world that i do the absence of of the availability of this kind of guidance then um, one of the things that you can do and that I would encourage you to do if you feel confident that you can do it without being doctrinaire is, is do just what I'm doing here. You know, start, start another group. Like maybe it's a local group. Maybe it's on Reddit. Maybe it's where, whatever it is in, in your world, uh, where, where people can, can access what you know, because, I think that's really the most powerful way to communicate this stuff. I mean, I think, you know, for me, when I first met Chula Dasa and started talking, with not when I first met, when I first started studying with Chula Dasa and he started talking about how the progress of insight goes, that's when it lit fire for me. That's when it lit on fire for me. So.
4: yeah, uh, Thanks, I, I think, yeah, that's, that's a good answer. I, I was also wondering just like, if you start sharing like your experience and stuff like, I don't know. Like, we, we got a lot of people like thinking that their way is the right way. And, um,
0: yeah.
4: And, um, they're, cause like, we're, we're all biased based on our experience and how it things unfolded for us. And, like, yep. some people will say, like, oh, the Duca Nanos was like, oh, it's absolutely horrifying. It's, um, worst period of my life. Some people be like, oh, it's, it was just a breeze. And, yep. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like, uh,
0: yeah. So, I mean, actually, that's that, that's a good clarification, Nate, because the I think one of the reasons, so, you know, you, you can be a judge of whether I'm actually useful at helping with this stuff. But if I am useful at helping with this stuff, part of the reason I am is because I've been exposed to so many different people who've had insight experiences. So so I can no longer say, well, my insight experience was the right one, because there's like so many people who have had different ex- insight experiences and clearly share the same results that that I just can't I can't be doctrinaire anymore. And and you want people like that. You don't want somebody like I had a teacher who's a wonderful guy, taught me everything that I know about Tibetan Buddha Dharma, a uh, very valuable teacher, but he had his way that he awakened, and that was the way that everybody was going to awaken. And that wasn't the way that I awakened. So, you know, that, that, that held me back for a long time, I think. I don't regret yeah. it.
4: Yeah. I also feel like there are just like so many variables. It's, it's very hard to like get, get it. Like, I don't know, like, for example, like you could say like Westerners that do go through the progress of insight. You have, you could have a harder time, yeah. maybe due to Western psychology or something like that. And um, yeah. And Schild also says like, Oh, if you go through your purifications in stage four, that will like uh, greatly ease a lot of things. Yeah. But then you, you, I, I don't know. I've also seen people that went through stage four with some purifications and Still, like, had a pretty horrific time later on. So yeah,
0: yeah. yeah well, so I mean, the other thing that Shula Dasa really encourages is that people make sure they have have people around, and and this is this is not an easy thing to accomplish in, in the world as, as it is today, right? Because like you know, most of the people, like I, I'm working with this guy in Germany. I've probably mentioned a couple times on the call who uh, has had a really bad insight experience. Bad in the sense that that he's landed in depersonalization without uh, without actually being free of attachment to self. And so that's like the worst thing in the world. Cause it's like this, this constant battle and uh, he's got nobody around him. There's nobody that he can sit with face to face and like see their eyes and have them be there as a comforting, connecting presence. So he has no sangha and um, you know, that this is what we're doing here. Like, like, so we're lucky, right? Like, I, I think you know. I actually know somebody who went through a dark night. He's he he shows up. I talk to him every other every other uh, Sunday who who had a very difficult experience, in Chuladasa and Chuladasa and Tucker actually pulled him out of it, which was awesome. Um, but uh, w- if we're fortunate enough to have been able to get some kind of some kind of stability of insight um, without having to go through all of that pain or having gone through that pain, we're now through it and, and able to have that stability. Um, being available for people who are going through that I think is really important and, the, and the, the lack of the lack. So we we're seeing so many people trying to do this awakening process. And even if it's like 1% of them who have a really bad experience, that's a lot of people. And so the other 99% of us really need to be there for them. Like, like this is actually important. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't really know how to make that happen, but, but, but that's like, that's why I'm here. And that's why I get on Reddit and answer people's questions. That's why I, for God's sakes, read our awakened, (laughs) uh, (laughs) because people come on to our awakened and they have, They're like, oh my God, like I'm a space alien and everything's changed. And you know, that's like, there's there's a moment in there where they're still like, holy shit, everything's changed but they haven't quite gone to this is pathology. And if you can say something comforting to them in that moment, I swear, I believe that that helps. Like there's a chance that if you catch them just at that moment and say, look, everything's okay. You're gonna be okay. Here's what's going on. It's gonna be fine that it will be fine for them. And if nobody comes and, se- and helps them at that moment, then they'll wind up like going into this spin and it'll take them years to come back out of it. So yeah, I, I think what we're doing when we when we engage in, pe- in in stuff like that is actually really important. That was a bit of a soapbox.
4: Well, I, I think that was a good answer. Yeah, thanks for doing this. and um sure. but also just like, I feel like there like my, my knowledge is pretty limited. like um, I try to help the people I can, but when, when I see people having like crazy energetic responses, like that's one area that I just don't understand that well. Like mm-hmm. I've had energetic issues. I've had um, my neck twitching left and right, like not to the point where someone would call an exorcist, but um, but yeah, like there's like the, the psychological things, I feel like, I understand better. the the physical things, yeah, sort of. The, the energetic things that's like one puzzle to me
0: yeah well so Sam is actually a really good resource for talking about the energetic stuff because he's I, he's I've heard him give some really good advice about that in the past um, and, cool. uh, Sam you said you did
4: um, you did Qigong right uh yeah I've done some Qigong uh, i
3: I'm not uh, consistent with it anymore, but
4: uh, yeah I've
3: had some energetic stuff I mean like uh, do you like? It'd be helpful. Like, is is there a more specific like issue that you're getting at, um, in your in your question? Like, because it it seems like you're um, asking more general about like, uh, well, books on insight and like maps and stuff. But um, like, I'm just trying to get a sense from where you're coming from. You know, like, what's what's what are you actually trying to ask? You know.
4: Well, yeah, that's that's good. Um, they're they're sort of like all a little bit scattered. All over the place. I guess, like the, I was just like uh, the thing that's interesting thing that's to interesting me, me. I'm sorry, I'm hearing. My I'm hearing echo. Um, you're yes. hearing echo. Yeah, but uh, maybe it's better now. Okay, yeah, it's better now. Um, so what's interesting to me is like some people can start sitting and like um, they they can like progress at a decent pace. Or like, I'm not going to define what decent means, but they can make progress. They can have inside experiences and they grow through it relatively without too much problem. And then you have pr- people that um, don't don't really progress, but they don't really run into too bigger problems. And then you have people that uh, run into a huge uh, number of problems. And of course, like there's like a lot of variation, like there's like, there's psycho. Like, Psychology, their, their, um, their conditioning, their upbringing, and all these things. But um, I guess, like, I'm just curious about, like, the. Well, if I were to ask the first question again, it's like more of the energetic side of things. That's not a very so, specific
3: question. You, um, um, are, you in the th- are you in the third bucket where you're having difficult experiences? Sorry, Would can you answer said- that?
0: No, he's talking about helping others.
3: So Nate, can you hear me okay?
4: Yeah.
3: Okay. So it sounds like you might be in the third category where um, you're having a difficult experience.
4: Would that be correct? Well, no. Like uh, I think I had energetic things, but they weren't very. um, They they weren't very. uh, I, I wouldn't call them to the point of obstacles. There were times I had doubts that I was like, um, maybe I'm running into something more serious that I need help with, but not, not at the moment, but I've seen people that have gone like completely like they can't even sit anymore.
3: Yeah. I mean, I've seen this kind of people too. And I like, I've had some energetic stuff, but I'm definitely not one of the people that had like intense, uh, Kundalini things going on. Like, um, but I, I've seen that situation and it seems to be a really tough thing because it's really not in the person's control uh, when there's a lot of that uh, stuff going on. And uh, it seems like uh, there there's ways of calming down, like uh, Kundalini energy and PT, whatever you want to call it, like you can ground yourself by... Uh, like eating rich foods and sort of doing normal earthy activities, like having your having your feet on the ground in contact with bare earth is really good for some reason. And like doing uh, Qigong on the bare ground, like you can transfer energy from your body into the earth. And I've heard of, uh, like that helped me a lot when I was having some energetic stuff going on. So um, I, I think there are ways of dealing with that, but I wouldn't by any means consider myself an expert. Um, and it does seem to be the case that people are more or less prone to having energetic stuff going on, but do, it doesn't seem to be—it doesn't seem to have anything to do with awakening uh, in a direct way, like like the people with more Kundalini stuff. Like it doesn't, to me, it doesn't really indicate uh, much other than maybe like okay, that might be like an A and P type thing if you want to put it on the P O I map but from from what i see and from my own opinion it doesn't seem to be, it seems to be like orthogonal to the whole awakening mission um that's just my opinion
0: Sir, I don't know. let me just interject something here because what i was saying was don't ask, was not ask sam to explain this to you but rather use sam as a resource in case you encounter someone like that because <laughs> Chances are, like, like, so Sam's struggling to answer the question because he doesn't actually have a person with a problem in front of him, but I bet if you put a person with a problem in front of him, he'd be like, well, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Have you tried this? And he'd probably help them a lot. He might not succeed, but, but he'd try. And, and, you know, we have these resources. You know, there's, there's uh, a friend of mine who's a student at Chuladasa's, uh, Tucker Peck. Like, if you find somebody who's really in a dark night, send him to Tucker. Uh, or uh, there's a lady. Uh, what's her name. Um, Marianne. Sorry. Marianne Chaplin. Ann Chaplin. That's not who uh, I was thinking of. But uh, maybe Marianne Chaplin would be good yeah. too. I don't know. Uh, no, the, the lady from Brown University.
4: Oh, um, oh, Willoughby Brin. Willoughby
0: Britton. Willoughby right. Yeah, so Willoughby. The, the only thing about Willoughby is that I think she's a little bit like, like, you don't want to send somebody to Willoughby if they haven't started meditating yet because she'll tell them not to. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if they're in trouble, then she might be a useful resource. And actually, I, I, I've been meaning, I haven't looked this up in a while, I've been meaning to go take one of her seminars because she's been doing a lot of serious research on this topic. And um, I think that she's uh, she's a good resource to keep in mind. So these are, you know, these are things to consider, but this is why Sangha is so important. It's because you have all of these resources available to you. Like if you run into someone who's having tr- trouble with stage four, you send them right to me and I'll help them. <laughs> That's that's just kind of how it is. So All right, thanks. Okay. Yeah, so uh, Kevin you have your hand up
8: Yeah, hey guys Um, Changing course a little bit backtracking a little bit to something that was raised a little a little earlier You know one thing I'm noticing Della and I Edel and I have been meditating for about three years now we had tried some Tibetan stuff and then we found TMI um, now we're in the finder's course. But I mean, one thing I'm noticing is that there there seem to be like, to use the bucket analogy, there's different types of meditators as far as where they are experientially. Some folks have been meditating for a very long time and then they find TMI, for example. Other people like Adele and I are relatively new and they find TMI. And for those of us that were relatively new and then we found TMI, Just speaking from my own personal experience, it was not readily apparent when I was reading TMI that what you'd said earlier, Ted, that Chuladasu was only addressing one slice of of the Eightfold Path. And as a new meditator, I was embracing in my intention, in my reading, in my meditative practice, in my intentions, in my effort, embracing TMI as the path. Right, as the whole bucket, as the whole enchilada. And as I progressed, I found that that just weren't weren't true, but there's this whole ethos, this whole energy when reading the book, when engaging with TMI practitioners and all of that, to on the one hand be trying to diligently practice TMI, and yet somehow on the other have this blended perspective that it's not only the, the only path and so i'm wondering if maybe you could just chat a little bit about you know what is just briefly like what is the overall context like i know for example for me i'm finding a lot for example in the finders course to be a beautiful wonderful very useful supplement and complement you know and i'm finding it to be addressing many of the things that i was struggling with and and was not getting from just a very narrowly focused diligent attempt to implement all of the written instructions in TMI, if that makes sense. So is there some kind of general brief context that you could give to where TMI and, you know, I I mean, I think, did you get generally what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. So I mean, TMI fits into the Eightfold Path, right? TMI is one of the, as Gilbert was saying, is one of the trainings of the Eightfold Path. and uh, you know, you you. In addition to to uh, concentration, you also need to study. Or it, it, if you if you accept the so here's the thing, the Eightfold Path is one of a number of different Buddhist paths. It's not the only one. It's it's the one that's sort of standardized in in uh, Theravada and, and similar traditions. Um, there's also the Bodhisattva path. Um, and there are different variants on that. And there are other paths in Buddhism. And then there are other, entirely other religions. So um, one of the, so, so there's like, what do you need to, to be okay when you have insight? Um, and I think different traditions have different approaches to that that are all valid. So if you look at the Christian tradition, you know, if you, if you just look at like the red letters, don't, don't, don't worry about the other stuff for now, although there is some useful stuff elsewhere. Uh, there's lots of useful information in there about how to be in the world. And if you follow that advice and you live that way, then when you have insight, it'll probably go pretty well. I mean, I I make no promises because you might have some really bad trauma that just surfaces when you have your insight experience, but you're certainly not going to be making things worse for yourself if you follow that practice. And the same is true in Islam. The same is true in, um, you know Judaism, if you follow the the the, the commandments, uh, which are many, they're not just ten. Um, and uh, the same is true in in various. So Buddhism, the, you know, the Theravada tradition has the Buddhist vows and the the ten bad deeds, uh, and that's also true in the, in the Tibetan tradition. All the Tibetan tradition has three different sets of vows, um, and all of the vows are valuable. All the val like I when I first started studying Buddhism. Really, all I got was the vows like the vows and the the, the practice of of uh, the practice of virtue is the way Chuladasa describes it, which I think is a great way to describe it um, because it's not about being a moral person it's not about being something it's about having a set of heuristics for how you react to the things that hit you in the world so when somebody insults you, how do you react to that when uh, you are hungry and you see that someone has something that would, that would make you not hungry, how do you react to that situation? When somebody injures you, how do you react to that? So there are all of these heuristics, like when this happens, do this, when this happens, do this, or really the heuristics are more like just don't ever do this, <laughs> right? Like, uh, so so, so the, 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 the Theravada vows and the the, the, the vows, the vows of individual freedom, individual freedom being nirvana, um, the prani Moksha vows are uh, all about don't do this, be harmless, basically. If, if you want a theme, it's be harmless, don't cause harm. Um, and so, and the, the, the various ways of being harmless include not lying, not, uh, 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 not speaking harshly to people, um, not engaging in useless talk, which is really difficult to explain what that is but uh, it's not that hard to know it when you see it. Um, and what's, what's the other speech one? There's harsh words. Uh, oh, divisive talk, right? Not saying things that would divide people up. Like, so, so when you're, when you see someone who's behaving badly and you want to do something about it, the way to do it is not to try to get other people to be that person's enemy or to stop being that person's friend. That's not how you fix the problem. So there are all of these little heuristics. And, and, you know, as somebody who, like when I came to this, I mean, I, I grew up, um, you know, I, wanna, uh, I don't want to complain too much about my upbringing, but, but there was a lack of emphasis on virtuous behavior in my upbringing. And, uh, and I think it was because of a reaction to sort of the, 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 the you should form of morality, like you should do this, you should behave this way. Kind of morality. Um, but the result of that was that when I actually encountered teachings on the vows and started practicing them, my life got like a million times better overnight. Like literally, like it took, you know, when I started practicing the, the, the bodhisattva vows, like it was amazing how much of a change that made in just the way that I behaved in the world. And as a consequence, the way that the world behaved at me, right? It was weird. Like, like, my life just got hugely better from, from doing these simple things that I, I had, they seemed like they were morality, like they seemed like they were judgy and like, you know, oh, you shouldn't do this, you should. but when I stopped doing those things, suddenly my life got hugely better. So, so that's like, that's one of the really important aspects of the Eightfold Path or the Bodhisattva Path is, is this, this understanding that how you behave actually matters and affects your practice. It affects your meditation. So if you, if you're constantly causing trouble or constantly doing things that are creating stress, guess what? You're going to have trouble meditating. <laughs> uh, you're going to have like a rough time. And and the, the in the Tibetan tradition, this is really explicit. It's like when they t- when they teach meditation, they say one of the factors for, and I think Chögyal mentions this when he's talking about the hindrances. One of the factors for. Uh, a happy meditation practice is that you're not out there stirring up the mud all the time. You're not constantly creating problems for yourself. So, anyway, uh, we have two more people with their hands up, and I don't want to hog the the mic, so I'm going to pass it along. But that gives you a little bit of my history. Um, I think Gilbert, you had your hand up first. Is that right? Yeah.
7: Well, so in answer, I think to to, to your question and also even Nate's question. Um, I mean. You know, the the mind likes to pigeonhole things into, you know, little boxes and, you know, give me the book that explains everything. You know, what's the one framework that explains everything. Um, And the issue is, I mean, you can kind of simplify it down to little things. Like you just oh yeah it's an, it's the Four Noble Truths right but then the Four Noble Truths again it's like this you know what is it those Russian dolls and stuff that like nesting all you open it and then there's more and more and more um, because the Four Noble Truths includes the Eightfold Path which is covering the the three trainings which is virtue meditation and wisdom and you start explaining any one of those trainings and it you know starts to in order to meditate it's like well no there's also all these factors. Um, in terms of how you're living your life, right? Well, what's what's going on there? And it's also like, you know, the the whole wisdom, how are you seeing things, both uh, supra mundane wisdom or just ordinary wisdom? So uh, I was kind of reminded of, um, well, in some ways, like, I think the best advice I would give people is like, you are trying to um, think about the practice as one of cultivation. You know, a cultivation of these, you know, you have kind of your end goals in a sense, right? And it's fine to have that, but to, to get there, it's not like this one-to-one thing where like, I got to do this one thing and then I get that thing. It's like, no, actually you're, you're taking a, a, you know, multi-systemic approach uh, and process, working on as uh, many things as possible to, in some sense to get the thing, but it's not so much getting a thing it is one more of cultivation and in some sense you you cultivate by uh letting go or dropping getting rid of the stuff you know that gets in the way all the problematic stuff the stuff that's like just not good for you it's not good for others you know where are all the ways that you're harming yourself or harming others um yeah and that's that's the heart of the path right it, it so I, I can, I can put it in that in like, you know, that's like a simplification and I think it's a pretty good, you know, overall simplification, but you know, when it can, comes down to individual uh, domains, you know, what should I do in terms of, should I meditate more? Am I meditating too much? Go, going back to Rick's question. It's like, well, you know, you, you have to think about uh, the, the whole, all the context, right. That's, um, it's not, it's not like a, a simple, you know, give that one thing, that one trick, right? Or those three tricks or things like, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, um,
3: I'll, I'll add something. I'll try to be short. Um, so uh, the meditation is uh, a tool for mindfulness, which uh, allows you to be in the world and to apply your mindfulness to things, uh, to to, to doing things that promote a positive state of mind, which feeds back into the meditation, uh, which kind of uh, allows you to develop more mindfulness. And then you go out in the world and uh, you, you uh, develop positive mental qualities. And it's sort of just like this interconnected uh, process going on um and you know i think like chula and all the western people emphasize meditation because it's like this tangible thing that a person can do and um it's a it's, it's a good way to get a foothold in uh the entire like inter- interconnected nature of the cultivation uh but it's really it's all the same thing really like you meditate and uh it, it's all about developing the mindfulness like to know what your mind is doing during more and more complete uh, of your waking moments. And you start to see that um, you're constantly contributing to uh, either suffering or the end of suffering. Uh, There's no, there's no, uh, there's no moments in the day where it's like not, you're not on the path. Like everything you do is on the path. Like everything you do contributes to uh, future state of mind, future suffering for yourself and others. And meditation just helps you see that. So um, the further you go, it's it, it, it all becomes meditation. And uh, I guess I, I think that's all I wanted
8: to say. So, Hey, Sam, thanks real quick. I just wanted to say I really appreciate that because one of the questions that I didn't ask was, what happens when you start not, not when things start blending? Like, the line between meditation and on the off the cushion starts blending. Like I may only sit for an hour, but like I I'm like seeing tons during the day when people that normally would piss me off, I'm catching it and applying and smoothing and blending and you know I'm I'm you know what I'm saying. I mean it, I'm seeing more off the cushion. That to me it's not meditation, but it feels like it's applying meditation you know what i mean
3: yeah so that's the whole point of meditation like really um that is the point um we can we can we can act like meditation is about developing blissful states of mind while we're sitting on a cushion being silent but really the real value of meditation is bringing it into daily life and reducing suffering like you're talking about there so uh, when we discount that kind of thing happening uh it's a disservice um that That really is the fruit of meditation. Um, and the more you can notice that going on, and the more uh, the more of that comes into your life, that's really uh, that's what's uh, that's a good thing. So that's that's how I feel about it.
0: To put it in in uh, slightly different terms, when you notice that happening, dance a little dance of joy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really awesome when that happens. Uh, so Rodrigo had his hand up. Yeah, I wanted to
9: comment on Kevin's question, but uh, okay. Gilbert and Sam basically said everything. One thing I I have to add is that uh, the three training I think uh, are concentration, wisdom, and virtue. And there is that that thing Gilbert said that well, we try to solve life all at once, and We basically can't do that so we start somewhere and we usually pick up path and start threading it and but those three trainings they are not separate and they influence each other and you can start by virtual and you realize you're getting insights and you can start by insight and you realize you're getting concentration and those things mixed together. So sometimes you just pick one and start with it because you have to start somewhere. And as you go along, you you find a place where you you feel, well, okay, this path isn't going as, I don't know, I'm not progressing as before. So now might be the time to, to go somewhere else. And I think that's what has happened with a lot of people when TMI came out, at least for me, uh, Tom mentioned uh, MCTB and that was one thing, one thing I, I've read before TMI also. And I found that after a while it stopped helping me. So when I found out about TMI, it was something that really, uh, I don't know, sparked my meditation again. And yeah, we, we I think we just have to, to accept the fact that we can solve it um, all at once and just pick something and go with it. And to go back also to the to Rich's question, uh, sometimes we, all, we also feel like we have to be, I don't know, just as, as the bad stuff some, sometimes feel permanent. So sometimes we, we are in, in a bad rut and we feel, oh, we, I'm not going to get out of this. Uh, the good stuff also can feel permanent. And sometimes we get, oh, this is great. It's not, it's never gonna get worse again. And it will get worse and you will get out of it and you will have to adapt. So yeah, I, I just make it think we should be used to the fact that we have to take one step at a time and that's what it is.
2: Uh, so the reason I mentioned MCTB is because I think early on in some of the early chapters, it does a really good job of laying out the three trainings and explaining how they relate to each other and to real life. Yeah.
0: yeah. By the way, uh, I, something that you said, Rodrigo, uh, that I'd like to to uh, just briefly mention is that while it's true that the three trainings do play into each other, um, there is a risk. Uh, and actually, the the, the uh, Mahayana path talks about this more so than the than the Theravada path. But there is a risk. Um, that you can have insight without having the right priming. And that's not a disaster. Your life does get better. Your suffering gets less. Uh, it may even be really great for you. But, um, but it can be the case that, that if, you, if you come into insight without any particular priming, that you're just kind of like, you know, it's like, it's like you've, been, you've been going down the rapids and you get to the delta and then you're out in the ocean and then you're just like, stopped. Um, and so having good priming is, is key. And so there is actually a great deal of value in working on the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the insight and well, we work, working on the, the, uh, the sort of practice of virtue kind of trainings and in the Bodhisattva tradition, the practice of, uh, uh, serving others, which I, you could kind of lump into the insight part or the wisdom part, I guess. Uh, it's good to it's good to have that stuff. It's good to have intentions about that stuff when you're going into your inside practice, rather than landing on the other side of that and then trying to develop it. It's yeah. you know whatever happens, happens. It's not the end of the world. But but uh, it's good to do that. So uh, Christoph, I noticed you had your S- hand up.
9: Sorry, uh, I just wanted oh. to comment on that. Just so uh, I, I didn't mean to to say that you, you don't need the other stuff. Uh, what I just meant is that they play into each other. And yep. actually, I think there is a risk in, in picking one because you can develop concentration and be a highly concentrated assassin, or you can develop virtual and become, become a zealot and, and yep. just think, oh, okay, the, 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 the virtue is all there is. There is no need for concentration. So yeah, the, there is a risk, uh, I agree. You have to be primed. And I think that that is one of the reasons that the the training is threefold and not yes. one fold and two fold and, and, and exactly yeah
10: yeah
0: all right so christoph sorry
10: hey no problem um, so I, i've been on i've been here like i think 3 weeks ago uh, uh, and I, I, I told you about uh, my my practice which was was which is or was at st- around stage 6 territory Mm-hmm. And my, my complaint was that I, I had like uh, difficulty to, to get into the, the first jhana actually, and uh, you you gave me a few advices, a few different approaches. Uh, one was to do the do, do nothing technique. I tried that for a while and uh, (laughs) it really, really, really made me uncomfortable, which may have been a reason to to continue doing it, but uh, yeah, I dropped it. Uh, The other advice you gave me was to, um, yeah, to like you talked of another guy that was in your teacher training that um, just kind of like started from the beginning again, like worked the stages up again from the beginning and to see where, yeah, where there might have been uh, where there might be uh, corrections to be made etc cetera, etc cetera. and um like what i what i what i've been doing in the last few weeks is um, realizing that uh i'm not really that aware of my emotions like i tend to 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 yeah to to suppress my emotions in some way and um uh, what I actually did was go back to stage five and follow an advice that I read from Tucker, which was to make emotions my uh, my, my 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 meditation object for for a while. And what I noticed is that um, when I focus on emotions, like it's it's not that strong. That I don't know, like. When I think about purifications, I'm I'm imagining this scenario where I focus like I focus on the breath, and there's something like that gets so strong in the background, that grabs so much attention that that I just have to, to di- divert it to the to the purification, uh, to to that emotion. That hasn't been the, the the case for me. Like I've I've I sort of like felt that I had to 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 may intentionally make the emotions my uh my meditation object and i don't know if if those can be called purifications but what i've noticed is that when i was meditating on those emotions like they sort of like started to dissolve in a really pleasant pity kind of thing like i focus on the emotion and it like like it's really difficult to describe but they um and, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure where I'm heading now with this, but my practice, my my, my, I'm not following TMI, actually, because I'm, I'm, I'm not doing strictly Samatha. Um, like, for the past few weeks, I've been, doing, I've been focusing on emotions, and I feel really great afterwards and everything, but I, I, I don't know how I should continue now. Like I'm, I'm going, I'm going to, the, to the TMI retreat next week in Europe with Tucker and uh, Upali. And my question was, if yeah, if you had any advice on how to proceed, like.
0: Uh, so I, I think,
10: first of all, it sounds
0: like what you're doing is working. And so uh, when what you're doing is working, the urge to do something different is usually um, not helpful. Um, but, uh, what you're, what you're describing is actually something that you've probably heard Chula Dasa talk about. It's, it's called investigation. Um, and when, when he talks about investigating, that's what he means. He doesn't mean investigating in the sense of, of reasoning through what's happening or something like that. He literally just means seeing into whatever it is that you're looking at. And so what you're describing is exactly that. You're, you're an emotion is coming up. You're seeing into it. And that is actually a, a purification practice. It's it's uh, it's not one that that uh, that Chuladasa explicitly recommends in stage four, but but it is it is a purification practice. It is beneficial, as you've noticed, um, and and the fact that you're able to do it is really great. So uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, basically, I think what you'll find is that is that after a while, you realize that it's not as fruitful as it was at the beginning. And at that point, you might want to go back to doing stage five and stage six and stage seven. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's perfectly fine to, to, to be doing it. And it's, it's actually kind of what I was trying to get you to do with the do nothing practice. So, so it's okay. great that you found a way to do that without, you know, without doing a practice that wasn't appealing to you. Okay, yeah, and I mean, you know, what you said about the do nothing practice is interesting and, and probably worth investigating at some point, but doesn't have to be right now.
10: <laughs> yeah, it's just it's 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 just something that yeah, my my my, the workings of my mind really get like it, it yeah. really grinds my gears like,
6: what, right? I, I so
10: an and then I'm like, okay, was was that was that even an intention? And and then I notice an intentional that I that I'm thinking and I drop yeah. that and it yeah. gets really crazy after a short while when I do that. Yeah.
0: So, so that's actually like something to investigate the same way that you're investigating your emotions. Like, like whenever this is, I, I, I've gone on a rant about debugging. I don't know if you were on last time I went on a rant about debugging, but basically you have a highly reproducible bug here, right? You have, you have a yeah. problem that you can, that you can immediately produce like, like without any difficulty at all. Those are the best kind of problems like when you feel like digging. There's no rush because you know how to reproduce it. But when you feel like digging into that at some point. You could probably get a lot of of juice out of just like sitting down doing the do nothing practice and then watching all of the negative emotions that come up and and investigating them the same way that you're Doing your investigation. Now you may find that 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 that's quite powerful, but Okay, like what if you're making progress doing something less powerful and you're not in a big hurry. That's usually the thing to do because the last thing you want to do is like, just, just, you know, Like there, there, there might be like some vessel that's holding toxic waste and, and rather than rather than just like smashing the vessel, you probably want to drain it slowly.
10: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but, but yeah, at some point when you find the, 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 the investigating emotions is has dried up for you, you might want to go back to that.
10: See what happens. Okay, yeah. okay thank you.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, it seems like people are slowly wandering off. Uh, Is there any, any last stuff that anyone wants to bring up? All right. Well, thank you all for coming. It's it's always a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. See you hopefully some, uh, some other Saturday.
5: Bye. Bye. Bye.